buckle up and get ready for the journey as we navigate the ongoing relationship between belief and life, theology and doxology, or as we like to say, theodox. Welcome to the Theodox Podcast. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together. <laughs> you can't even last through it. Welcome to Theodox Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Brooks, along with Gracie Calhoun. What's up, guys? We're glad you joined your favorite podcast again. And along with our guest today, yes. again, Philip Howell. Yes. Thank you, Philip. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Awesome. And if you couldn't tell by the intro, today's episode is about marriage. Ooh. Woo. Which I know a little bit about. Yeah, uh, this Wednesday bit. is my 20th wedding anniversary. So okay. I'm very excited Ooh. about that. Nice. Congratulations. Cool. What's yes. the actual date? August 2nd. Okay. Because yes. this will come out after that. Yes. But yes. So everyone knows it's August. <laughs> That's right. August 2nd, 20 August. years. 20 and years. by the way, to take a segue here, I was looking at some of the nice merchandise that you guys were promoting <laughs> on Instagram uh-huh. and thought my wife might like one of those t-shirts possibly as well. And how would I buy one of those if I wanted to get her one? Well, on our social media pages, there are links. I mean, that's going to be either easier way than giving you the Etsy shop okay. name. All right. But yeah, you can go to Instagram, you can go to Facebook, and there's, or go to our link tree, yeah, which you can get tree. through those. And then, um, yeah, you'll have you'll have a merch tab you can click on and mm-hmm. go buy to your heart's content. Very cool. We're glad to discuss marriage, and uh, marriage is a wonderful thing. Really cool that we're following this up right after our love conversation. And that was not intentional, actually. No, so it was actually sovereignly planned by our God, yeah, you know? <laughs> we actually tried, and I know we, we haven't really talked about this, but we tried really hard to do a different episode altogether. Yep. And um, there were a few other guests that we were trying to get on this, like, one particular topic, and none of it worked out. So we're like, let's just go ahead and do marriage. And yep. um, there, there it was. It was so, yeah, we're going to follow up you know? God's eternal love with marriage. And I, I do. I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to take the credit for it. And there's not a better training lab to flesh out you know, what marriage, what love looks like than in the confines of a marriage. Oh, yeah. Two sinners put in one abode yeah. dealing check sharing bedrooms bathrooms checkbooks and everything else you know? toothpaste tubes yes. yeah. but not toothbrushes we're you not can. freaks you can. <laughs> okay and we have to stop the line somewhere there you said you're not friends not freaks freaks, freaks. Yeah, oh, we're i was friends. like you're not dang i was like um that's a red flag <laughs> <laughs> no we're definitely friends except for toothbrushes just don't share the toothbrush. Not so yeah. much. What was one of the biggest things in your marriage that, like, you found out after you got married that you were like, wow, this, if I'd known this before, it might have been a deal breaker. And that's <laughs> Ooh, just humorous. No, no. We're not really serious. Not actual but like, deal breaker, but kind of like I'll funny... give you an example for us. All right. So I, I just, the anal side of me, always with the, t- t- the tube of toothpaste, that's why you, you have to squeeze from the back end and keep it working flat as you squeeze toothpaste out. But my wife, on the other hand, is one that just like squeeze right in the middle somewhere. Just grab and squeeze it, it out. Rip it, grip it, rip it. And I was just like, you must be a Nazi. Like, what are you doing? Squeezing in the middle of the tube of toothpaste. Yeah. <laughs> when we first got married, uh, my wife still is very health conscious and eats healthy. And one night she had bought some sugar-free Briars ice cream. Mm. And after a late night shift at Chili's, we came home and shared a spoon, not a toothbrush, shared a spoon, yeah. watched Seinfeld reruns, and downed a carton of sugar-free ice cream. Which sounds, you know, normal. Sugar-free ice cream has this artificial sugar mm. that causes yeah. your intestines to just 
with too much in marriage and we're in a 500 square foot apartment with the bathroom that's literally like in the closet and all of a sudden oh. the honeymoon is over and so oh, after that I told her honey please never buy any more sugar-free products again or yeah. our marriage will end at month three and yeah. it'll be travesty but anyways I real. know for us um, my husband is very much so very particular about bedding mm-hmm. and like the sheets have to be clean every so often and like the bedding and it has to be tucked in and um, which is a great thing and I don't mind if, yeah. if he wants to do it but you know um, for myself I grew up and was like if there were sheets on the bed I was doing good you know like the blanket itself was normally all crumbled up like in between my legs rather than like where it's supposed to be so that was definitely a stretch for us to like and it's still a daily battle but you know <laughs> yep. well we are going to get more into the pragmatic the practical side of marriage in a, in a next episode uh, what we want to do tonight is start with kind of a broad view and let's talk yep. about kind of what the world thinks about marriage, what are some of the common things we see and how it's viewed. Uh, let's look at a theological basis for how should we understand marriage and what's the weight of it. And then maybe at the end, work into some like overarching biblical purposes of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just throw it out there to start with. What what are, um, or I guess just how does our culture define marriage? Maybe let's start there. You think, and I, this is us observing, so right. this is not like right. absolutely we got this figured out, mm-hmm. but it, you know, just kind of looking around us, how would you think the culture defines marriage? Where did it come from? It's a legal, a legal thing. It's now, a piece now, Grace, of paper. You, you see lots of marriages, right? You do wedding yes. flowers, correct? Yes, yeah. I'm a wedding florist. Another mm-hmm. shameless plug. Another you, shameless you're plug. You're a floral designer. Yes, I'm a floral designer. So you do designer. wedding and event floral designs. Yes, yeah. so I can tell you all about the trends of weddings. So y'all check out, check out Carolina Petals. Yes. There you go for all your floral design Another needs. cringy plug. <laughs> but but it, it's not cringy because in my 20 years of doing weddings, they've changed a lot. Oh, tremendous. Um, this is more like just kind of... Yeah. church and semi-church people mm-hmm. um used to be 90 percent of weddings 95 percent were in a church yeah yeah now 10 percent with the reception in the social hall yes. with all the little colored mints nothing wrong with that man absolutely sandwich squares cut the crust off yeah. some starfish pimento cheese sandwiches a plus right yeah and so i've noticed now you correct yeah. me most weddings are at a barn right right you gotta have a barn some so, other yeah. venue. Yeah. Yes. Some other some, venue other than a church. Right. And so I've noticed that for the wedding, a, a trend that I, I saw a couple asked me to, to do one time that I didn't do. And it was subtle, but I think significant. And I guess this is like a Christian couple. But, you know, typically in a wedding, it's, it's myself as the minister and the bride and groom are kind of at a 45 degree angle. And I am facing the congregation. Right. And that's an important symbol. And, and what they're saying is that the, the man of God, the pastor here, is ordaining this couple to be together. And mm-hmm. so those that are there are here to witness God's blessing and union upon this relationship. Right. And the couple wanted to turn where they were facing the congregation and my back was to the church. Huh. Now, it sounds really subtle, right. but that moment right. they want everybody to look at Them. me and, and not so much have God in the, the picture at all. Right. So I guess that we're a little off topic from how the world views marriage. But ultimately, I would say everybody nowadays seems to have it. As Gracie mentioned from Google, yeah. it's about me. Right. It's my day. It's yeah. my wedding day. And, you know, that's the end goal. And yeah. what would y'all say, like, the culture would even say on where marriage came from as well? Like, where did it originate? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways they probably just revert to our kind of what we talked about last week, our built-in need for yes. companionship and mm-hmm. love. I don't know that they're, I don't, and I'm, again, I'm not throwing anything out here that's negative in any way or direct. I'm just saying, I don't think there's a whole lot of other basis for it than our own personal need. 
and not I'm not that is true and we'll get into that in a little bit um, yeah I, I don't know I don't have any other thoughts other than I mean that. I would argue too that I think that the need and want of marriage across civilizations and cultures is that echo of the image of God right and when we yeah. look at marriage theological basis in just a little bit we'll see that I mean from the very start God planned the first wedding and he decorated the garden and he walked Eve down the aisle and so I think that that, that, that image of God that still exists in man yeah. wants that significant, mutually exclusive relationship mm -hmm. with somebody. And, and you can't get away from it. Yeah. So far, people haven't got away from it. They've tried to, but people yeah. want to be married. Yeah, and I, I think I was kind of thinking along the same lines as you as far as, you know, I, I think in, in our culture, marriage is pretty much just viewed as a union between two. I, I was going to say maybe not even between two people. I mean, but... That gets us down another whole rabbit trail, but, but I think that's kind of the point some, somewhat too, is that some of the parameters of what marriage is kind of start to fall away. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing that's prevalent in our culture is that, you know, those, there aren't the, the parameters that were there based on what our society accepted mm -hmm. are, are kind of just falling away. Yeah. And so, yeah, there, there aren't as many parameters surrounding what marriage even is. So it really becomes hard to even define it yeah. in any sort of way. I know that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to think about how does the culture define it. But I think it gets to a point where it's kind of hard mm -hmm. to really even define it other than some sort of legal agreement. And, and, and clearly today, ultimately marriage is about my feelings and my personal happiness and my personal benefit. And really, it doesn't matter what the kids think, family thinks, society thinks. It is it's yeah. about me. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's like so much of our culture is like the individual, yes. right? I mean, individualism. And so that's like it, that permeates through this idea of marriage as well in our culture. I know we see a lot of trends of marriage and some stats. Um, They're rough. I know during this time and even talking about how like I was looking up some of those and how um, the rates at which marriages are even happening is so much lower. And yeah. yet the divorce rate is staying the same. Yeah. So it's like less people are getting married, and yet the same amount of people are getting divorced. Yeah, I, read, I read the average marriage is between 8 and 12 years right now. Oh, wow. In America, or, or, wow. 2002, the average marriage is, is that. Wow. More depressing to me. How many daughters do you have? Four. Four. The average cost of a wedding? Mm. Twenty-eight dollars to $34,000. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I'm glad people are paying you for your services, which I mean, <laughs> so thank you. They pay you that alone for uh, flowers. It's pretty amazing. I wish. <laughs> no, that I do think nice. it's a trend in our current society for people to um, to get married less. Yep. Like there's marriage is not as much of a priority mm -hmm. as it was, and some of that might have been utilitarian. Um, but I think now one of the things that kind of plays into it is that for better or for worse. This is not a, a Christian nationalism type of topic, but for better or for worse, we used to be a, a more moralistic society. Yep. And some things that were frowned upon, um, you know, like for example, having sex outside of marriage. So there would be, you know, sometimes the phrases of, oh, well, you, you're having sex with her, you need to make it right. right. And you marry the girl. And, and that was a kind of a cultural uh, expectation not even necessarily Christian. I'm not going that far, but I'm just saying, you know, as a society, those those views of morality have, you know, they have slipped down the slippery slope yeah. and they're going and going and going. And so now we're at a place where those are those are not even kind of weighing in on people's conscience any 
like so those are some of the things mm -hmm. that I think kind of like you know keep people from even like oh I don't even need to get married to do that that doesn't even matter right. I can do that if I'm single well that's right. like them sorry uh -huh, prioritizing right. um, experiences is kind of what yeah. that is a lot of that well I need to experience all this stuff before I commit or it's just like that fear of commitment I know like also our national average like age at which we get married is also a lot higher so we're waiting that now? Um, I, mean, I would say what 27 28 27 like for females and 29 for males is and now how old the you got married? 21 and you mm -hmm. were 19 19 wow you're wasting no time <laughs> i was 22 i guess yeah yeah 22 so so all pretty young yeah. by the day standards getting married oh yeah you got the record at 19 though yeah yeah it was arranged of course, y'all gonna know. Just kidding. So, nothing, I'm a fan of arranged marriage. I tell my sons all the time, listen, boys, I love you. If I tell you this person you think is great is crazy, you gotta trust your daddy. Yeah. And I've convinced them yeah. of that because they love their mom. I, I pick good women. Yeah. And so, there anyways. you go. I, I do wanna preface this kind of while we're in the middle of this, and hopefully people have gotten this far, is we're not here just to dog the culture. No. Um, we wanna talk about marriage and we wanna talk about the weight of it. And so, we're just kind of starting with this as kind of our, our springboard and hoping everyone will join us in thinking about how has the culture's view of marriage influenced me mm -hmm. as a Christian in my view of marriage, because honestly, the rates, the stats are not really any different as far as the mm -hmm. age of marriage in church, or the age of the, the people getting married or the divorce rate in church. Those those right. stats aren't really any different. So super depressing. I look back at all the weddings I've done over the past 20 years. Oh my gosh, probably only of them, maybe half are still married. I mean, wow. just, just oh, wow. personally, probably just. You didn't do your job well. I, yeah, I mean, we pre marriage canceled. <laughs> nope. There was some couples you didn't I was do like, something right there was some wedding, couples ceremony. I was like, there's no way this is going to work, but you guys are tough and dumb, so we figured it out. But like, you know, oftentimes I thought, man, this couple's really set up well. Yeah. But it just doesn't work out. So I think you're right. We're not dogging the non Christian world because there's plenty, plenty, plenty. Uh, of blame that we should take for our own failed marriages in, in the church. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's what our hope for our move is. And why don't we just do that? Let's start to let's start to build a, a case for the weight and the substance of what marriage is biblically. Um, let's jump into like just scripturally. So it's kind of the same question. How does scripture define marriage? Who created marriage? Yeah. I mean, again, the beginning sets the stage for a lot. Right. Genesis mm -hmm. chapter two. Verse 21, um, you know, God gives us a, a real brief picture, right? The first not good thing in scripture was what? That there was no woman. Yeah, man, man being alone, right? Mm -hmm. It was not good for man to, to be alone. From just this passage, we can derive quite a few oh, yeah. principles yeah. just from this one. I mean, the first one, Gracie mentioned, it's not good for us to be alone, right? Right. right. Uh, yeah. That passage, I mean, it establishes that marriage is God-ordained, yeah. right? Um, that is lifelong. Um, you know, the leaving and the cleaving um, is lifelong covenant relationship. And it also establishes between a man and a woman um, and that they become one flesh, right? Also establishes that. So it's a, like we said, lifelong exclusively, like sexually exclusive relationship. Um, and it also we see in Genesis one where it brings children into the world and sustains that stewardship of the church as well. So, I mean, from the very beginning, we see a lot of principles about marriage. Yeah, so God establishes the point that he owns marriage. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that's a very good place to start. Like, for a few years ago, I heard a guy on the radio, and he asked, what is the most significant passage in the Bible? And the right off the bat, the first thing that came to my mind was, in the beginning, God. 
And I don't know if that is or not, but to me it just kind of resonated because it just sets the tone for everything. Mm -hmm. Like he created. So even with marriage, he created it. He owns it. He gets to say what it is and what it isn't. And I think a lot of times in our culture, we want to dictate everything and we even want to define that and we want to create all the parameters or remove the parameters but that pretty much just says that we can't do that Mm -hmm. and i think that's a very very big deal because that's just natural for us and and uh, obviously huge in our society i like in chapter one and whether i like it or not doesn't matter but (laughs) (laughs) it says it says right um where in chapter one because chapter one being kind of a summary God just says, let's create man in our image. And God created man and woman. And so it's summarizing that, which you read, which was more the detailed explanation of how it happened. But it's interesting that um, when God said, let's create someone in our image, it wasn't one, Mm -hmm. it was two, which tells me that neither one could completely, you know, inhabit or display God's Mm -hmm. image. Uh, Both of them have deficiencies and both of them have something that the other one doesn't. And it seems to indicate, and I don't want anybody to take this too far, but it seems to indicate that there's something about God's image that is embodied and displayed more with the two of them together than not. That one flesh union more fully, beautifully, completely represents God than any one male or female individual. Yeah, and and before anybody like, here's the wrong thing here, because I said it and I know it, but, I, this is not to say anything lesser than of anyone who's not married. We're not idolizing marriage. We're not putting it in a place where it doesn't belong. It's just pointing out what scripture seems to yep. be saying here. And, and I, I think it's important for us to always look to scripture and go like, well, what does it say? Mm-hmm. And that's what it, you know, it, it seems to like, I don't know, give us that picture. And, and, isn't it a beautiful thing to think that when a marriage is, functioning according to God's plans, that the children in that home should be seeing a well-rounded picture and understanding of God, both a mother and a father who are seeking to be one flesh as they, you know, produce offspring as Genesis 1, 27 to 28 tell them to do and and raise them. That's a beautiful picture. I really like that understanding. I've never thought about that before in my life, the two of them representing God more fully than they could individually. Yeah, that's great. And even kind of going back to um, God creating and owning marriage, and it also links to this how two image bearers more fully show God's image together um, is in Mark ten six through nine, where Jesus says that marriage is basically the doing of God. When mm. He says, "From the beginning of creation, right. God made them male and female." He's quoting Genesis. Um, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then what he says is, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So God joined them together. God is the one who created this and owns Hmm. this. And so they more fully represent his image together than they would alone. There's this thread of, of commonality and truth running through scripture that is really cool to see right there, that Jesus isn't like saying something way different he's going like no just like go back to the beginning and i'm just going to repeat that and of course just to piggyback off crazy reading that jesus was a single man yeah who was Mm -hmm. the exact radiance of god as hebrews 1 would tell us and so it is important that we i think you you made the point you know if you're single it's not that you're incomplete inadequate and 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 lacking in any way because jesus himself 
never married, but yet was right. the fullest picture of God that there was. But again, he reiterates, I think, the point mm-hmm. that you rightly made a little bit ago. Yeah. I think another really cool thing as far as talking about the meaning of marriage to talk about is how God builds our entire understanding of the meaning of marriage on the example of Christ in the church, right? So the coming of Jesus was uh, the predetermined plan of God, right? To be used at the very beginning uh, of creation to give meaning to marriage. So it wasn't like um, he created male and female who basically created marriage and then later on was like, oh, what can represent this? Let me think of something and then sent Jesus. You know, what's the purpose of it and sent Jesus? No, um, he from before the beginning of time had this plan of sending Jesus. And we see that all throughout scripture. And I know Acts 2, Acts 4, um, 1 Peter 1, like we see that predetermined plan to send Jesus. And so that is what the basis of marriage is built on is that relationship between Christ and the church. So I know there are a lot of things that we can draw out of that. Yeah, I think, and just thinking about the thread of commonality through scripture, I think it's cool to see um, some of the analogies that are, that are used throughout scripture and some are analogies and some are actual things that are used as analogies. And so, um, so Paul says, and you have both mentioned Ephesians five, I think, but Paul says that marriage is um, an illustration of the relationship between Christ and the church. Right. And But Paul is one piece in this whole thing because, of course, you have the creation we just talked about. You have going from there, I mean, all of God's, I'll say all, but not a lot of the patriarchs we see, you know, they got married. They, they lived this out. Mm-hmm. And then you have like this crazy living illustration through Hosea. I mean, I would encourage you to go read the book of Hosea if you're questioning what God's view of marriage and love is. Um, How and, radically different yeah. is that mm. compared to yeah. the selfishness, yeah. the so, contractual nature versus God's picture through what yeah. he asked Hosea to do? Yeah, so Oof. just to give a quick example of that, God told Hosea to marry a prostitute. Um, Hosea did it. They had three kids together. Her name God, was Gomer. Gomer, yeah. That's and, a rough name, man. I mean, it's just <laughs> prostitute too, but like, Gomer, I love you, Gomer. You know, that's a tough one. Go ahead, sorry. No, that's good. Um, so they have three kids. A couple of them have like kind of despicable names. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And so, but basically, um, God is doing this to show Israel his undying love for them, his everlasting mm-hmm. love for them. And he's actually, this, these were real people. This actually happened. And that's what's nuts is, so she eventually leaves him and goes back to prostitution and she's up for auction. And, and, and God calls Hosea to go buy her back. So he literally goes and buys his wife on an auction block um, as if she's a prostitute. And, and it's this uh, undying love that is going to chase her down and bring her back. And, and what's also tied with that is we see the prophets throughout uh, Israel's rebellion, they use words like whoredom and mm-hmm. adultery um, to as, which are the antithesis of marriage. They're exactly the opposite of marriage, but that's what the prophets use to describe Israel's rebellion to God. And so then you have Jesus come on the scene and he talks about the uh, significance of God's marriage. Paul clarifies that it's the picture of this relationship. 
And then you have in the end of the Bible where, I mean, this is where the whole thread comes together and it's really cool. Like there's this really cool weight of substance that I want, you know, us to think about is like at the end of the Bible is the bridegroom Christ and the bride being presented to the bridegroom, the church being presented to Christ. And this is like, it's nuts when we think about what the heck is marriage. And then we see these threads running through scripture to go like, okay, there's something here a whole lot bigger than just me and my desires mm-hmm. and you and your desires and let's making that work. I mean, you could argue it would be one of the central unifying themes from Genesis to Revelation as you just laid yeah. out for us. Mm-hmm. So that means that when we get it wrong, we misunderstand it, we reflect it poorly, we're doing a great disservice to, um, I guess, our application of, of God's love for his people, as we mentioned yeah. last week, and also doing a disservice for the watching world mm. and the children of what we claim to believe about the Bible right. versus what we're actually showing in our marital practice. What would you say is the difference? Because we kind of open with saying that the I think our culture tends to kind of view marriage more as a contract. Um, so we're talking about a covenant and we didn't even talk about God's covenant yet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but yeah. what would you say is is a kind of a biblical difference between covenant and contract. I mean, contract ultimately exists for my benefit, right? If, if I, protect, yeah. yes, I mean, if I, you know, hire Carolina Petals to come and do my wedding and we have a contract, I'm going to pay X dollars. I'm going to get X services. If Gracie does not provide the services, I, I really don't care. I'm sorry that she's got a cough and that her puppy died. I need flowers for the wedding and she needs to do that or else I have no use for that. I'll yeah. find somebody else. And so contract is definitely the person is only useful so long as they're furthering my goal and my ends. The covenant, as you mentioned in Hosea, is this this, this one-sided unilateral commitment of this person, as every vow says, right? For better, for worse, richer and poorer in sickness and in health. So that notion alone, it's just a radical misunderstanding of a covenantal forever union versus a contractually useful temporary union for my mm-hmm. personal edification and benefit. Yeah. And then a contract too, like you can break it. Yeah. Right. Um, there are consequences. There are consequences, but you can break them. Yeah. Uh, it might be really expensive, mm-hmm. but you can break <laughs> them. Um, whereas a covenant is a perpetual promise. And I thought that was really cool to be able to look at, you know, God's covenant as being a, an everlasting perpetual promise. And, um, and that's what our marriage should be as well. Yeah, when we see um, prophecies from Jeremiah and Ezekiel about God's coming uh, eternal covenant, mm-hmm. where he's going to put his spirit in his people, and they will be his people. And that's exactly what he was displaying through Hosea and Gomer. And um, But this is a covenant that is unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's so certain that, and I know passage we've, we've kind of mentioned a few times before, like, um, where, where Paul says, what I have began in you, or he who began a good yeah. work in you, will bring it to completion. Like there's yeah. a, a certainty. There's Romans 8, which, you know, what can separate you from the love mm-hmm. of God? You know, there's neither height nor depth nor principle. You know, and he just like Paul goes nuts with this uh, exaltation. And just, it's just amazing that that's that covenant of love. And when mm-hmm. we see God's covenant uh, with us, then it gives us a, a much weightier view of what a covenant is, period. Yeah. Why is it that 
of the many couples that I married, right? I mean, we went through pre-marriage counseling. We discussed all these things that we're talking about right now. Why is it that so many uh, professing Christian couples who had a Christian wedding and pre-marriage counseling, which is you know, no guarantee or anything really, why is it that when, when, when the rubber meets the road, life gets hard, hmm. we forget that covenant and we think about it as a contract. I want out. It may be costly, yeah. but I'll give up my 401k. I'll give up the house. I just can't deal with you anymore. You, you've got to go because I'm not happy. Why is it that we forget that so quickly? What does it say fundamentally about our misunderstanding of the gospel, our own sinfulness? I mean, why is it the case? We'll cut and run quick. I think we build so much of marriage on the term love and so much on passion and this feeling. So we should just arrange marriages is what you're saying. Um, <laughs> some people could use that. I would not disagree. Sorry to interrupt yourself. <laughs> um, but that's like so much of marriage culturally is on this feeling. Yeah. And that's what it's like. That's the foundation of marriage culturally. And I say culturally because even though it has this, this image of in the church and all those things, obviously we don't know people's hearts yeah. to be able to say, you know, you are in the body of Christ or not. And that's just not our place to do so um, to a degree. But anyways, I would say a lot of a lot of us, whether we know spiritually and scripturally or not, we just base it on a feeling. It's more than a feeling. It is. More than <laughs> and Jeremiah seventeen nine, of course, says the, the heart, the yeah, feelings right. are deceitfully wicked exactly. and above all else can't be trusted. So yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're basing a life altering decision like divorce off a feeling, yeah. I double check that. That's a really cool thing. Like when we're talking about love and how we got to piggyback on our love episode and talk about God's everlasting love within the Trinity and how it's completely sufficient and doesn't need anything. So like at the very essence of Christ willingly sacrificing himself for his bride is love, right? Love for the father and love for his people. So this type of love, you can't just fall out of, like we talked about that misconception on our last episode. Um, but it's, it's an everlasting, completely faithful love that conquers, right? That's Christ's love. This is what our marriage is built on and is sustained in. So I think it's super cool. It's not like that worldly type of quote unquote love. That's a feeling or a fleeting moment. Um, that can simply be divorced like we're talking about, but it's a perpetual promise. So I think it's so cool, like with us piggybacking on that last episode, because this love, because of Christ, everlasting love within himself, like that permeates into our marriage yeah. as well, biblically. And of course, Apostle Paul says what you said for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Mm -hmm. And that means that he gave up his life for her, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and again, Romans 5, 8, for Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So he gave his life up for us at our worst to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So there's an object and a purpose behind Christ's love for us to, mm -hmm. to make us mm -hmm. holy. Just as in a loving relationship between spouses, there should be a mutual desire to see your spouse become the man or woman that God wants them to be. Right. And then it says he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Mm -hmm. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And so our love for our spouses should be such that our end goal is to see them become yes. in 
reality, mm-hmm. you know, what God has declared them to be in, in truth. And like yeah. you mentioned, Philippians 1, 6, that's a lifelong process. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm such a, I think I'm a, such a better spouse now than I was 20 years ago when I was young, dumb, selfish Philip. And I guess I'm not as dumb, not quite as selfish now, you know. It's, Broke. And, it's not as commit. young either. Not as young either, no. <laughs> I have less gray in my beard than you do. You're though. right. So. You're right. Yeah, so. You got uh, married at 19. <laughs> I'm not sure what that said. It wasn't that'll, the marriage, it was the daughters. Oh, okay. It was the daughters, yes. Okay. <laughs> and it's hereditary, so. I have sons, so I'm not there yet. Um, so let's hit on, like, some of the biblical purposes of marriage. So I think we've kind of hit on some of those. Um, but what is what was it designed to do, to do for us? Yeah. Have somebody to, to enjoy life with. It's a whole lot better going home to my wife than an empty house. Yeah. So that companionship, as you mentioned yeah. early on, that, that is one of the purposes. Yeah. To be naked and unashamed. Yes. All right. Right. It's an outlet for sexual <laughs> That sounds really weird with my daughter. So <laughs> it does. But it, hey, we applaud you. It is Rock true. But, but and again, that goes back to our world. You know, my grandmother would say uh, very, you know, quaintly back in the day, referring to certain girls, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? And so there was a sense, you understand the metaphor? Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. all right. There was a sense in which, yes, I mean, but, you know, I'm sure you're Do you understand this reference? <laughs> so there was a sense in which, you know, marriage was the sole avenue for yeah, sexual right. gratification. And so now in a culture that has been hypersexualized mm-hmm. through a hookup culture, through a pornography culture, that becomes secondary because I can, you know, take care of that in other means outside right. of what God has ordained for that. Right. Going along with um, some of that passage you read in Ephesians, um, that he would present her blameless. Yep. Um, so part of the purpose of marriage is for our sanctification. Yep. It, it is uh, for us to grow ourselves, but also for us to be working with our spouse so that they are growing in sanctification. Mm-hmm. And please don't anyone hear that and go like, oh, that's somebody lording something over somebody. That's not what I mean or any of us would mean. But there is a heart for us to see our spouses march towards eternity and being united with Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's part of that, not just the sanctification of ourselves and our spouses. That's a, that was, that's a purpose. That was the great book. Uh, Gary Chapman yeah. wrote years back, Sacred Marriage, and the subtitle was, yeah. God intends for marriage to make you holy and not happy. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which the struggle he ordains in marriage is the classroom in which you learn how selfish you are. You learn yeah. how to show grace, receive grace. You learn how to pray and struggle and overcome. And so it becomes this wonderful classroom that God makes yeah. you holy in, which he, that's the end goal. And if personal happiness is my end goal, the moment marriage gets hard, there's somebody else out there that can make me yeah. happy. The first time I actually heard that concept was actually <laughs> on my wedding day. And at this, the reception. At the reception. While I was giving you a toast. While dad was giving us a toast, this man got up there and, you know, everybody's happy, having a good time, celebrating, you know, normal weddings. <laughs> He's like, counter. hey guys, so I just want to be real with you. And like, marriage isn't about your happiness. And it was just like slap, slap, slap. No, I it's think about, it was more like, <laughs> hey, let's consider. What if... I'm just messing what with you. What if God created marriage more for your holiness than your happiness? It yeah. was more like a question. It was more of a question, but it was also <laughs> like a, hey, this is what this means. So. Well, I think to Philip's question earlier, you know, why do so many people bail when it gets tough? And I think 
we don't have like this built in significant weight of like this is for right that like this is actually going to expose things in me yes. that are bad yes <laughs> and then i have to deal with those this is actually going to expose things in my spouse that we have to deal with mm -hmm. and 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 so if we i i think our culture just as we talked about from the very start which bleeds over into the church which is we are more concerned about our happiness than our holiness mm -hmm. and i think that's our tendency so yeah it becomes hard to stay in there when when you know it hits the fan and um so I think that's probably some of the answer to that question. Um, I didn't think about that then, which would have been good. Hey, well, as long as we you think there. about it at some point, I'm okay. <laughs> what are some other purposes of marriage? I know we've already kind of hit on to reflect God's image yeah. more fully, but just kind of, you know, throwing that back out there to reflect God's everlasting covenant with his people through Christ and the church. Um, to be fruitful and multiply. That was one of the commands that was given to the first married couple. And yeah. then interesting, you know, Joshua mentioned Genesis 1 versus Genesis 2. Genesis mm -hmm. 2 is the, you know, the zoomed in picture. Genesis 1 is the, the broad angle. Right. You know, that passage to be fruitful, multiply, fill the world, subdue it. It's also called the cultural mandate. Yeah. And so there's a sense in which God intended for his people to establish and set standards for a, you know, flourishing society. And the foundation of that was marriage and, and, and work, really, yeah. right? Take care of the garden. And mm -hmm. so there's a sense in which when a society begins to denigrate marriage as a permanent institution to uh, struggle, to become holy, to raise kids, to, you know, see struggle. Like, my parents argued quite a bit. But you know what I saw from that? They stayed together. They yeah. didn't get divorced. And right. I was like, okay, cool. You, you, marriage is hard. You go through it. And when a society denigrates work and, and doesn't do that, it, it tears things apart. And so laziness in the work and laziness in marriage both lead to the, you know, really the deconstruction of a society. There's an element that I'm not going to go so far as to say this is what scripture is saying. Um, and sometimes I don't want to get overly allegorical with things, but there's an interesting element. Like we talked about God's eternal satisfaction, his eternal love within the triune God. And we also talked about our union with Christ and how then we are sharing in that eternal love. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting element with a male and a female entering into a, an everlasting covenant um, that is sort of reflects the Trinity in a way where you're saying mm -hmm. it's me and it's this person and God, and yeah. we're living in this eternal yeah. love with one another to where as we grow closer to God, we're growing closer to one another. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, I don't know. And then again, I'm not wanting to stretch scripture too far. I'm just wanting to say like there, there it's, it's just another interesting triune kind of scenario where there's two humans and God. And now we're in this yeah. covenant together. One of the most I think, clearest pictures I give in pre-marriage counseling, right, is the marriage triangle. You've got, yeah, right. you got husband and wife are here, mm -hmm. and you have God right here. The closer I get to God individually, the closer yeah. my wife gets to God individually, the closer the distance between the two of us is. Mm -hmm. So the greatest gift you can give your spouse, your kids, or the world, really, is, is your personal holiness. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so I think, I think that's not a stretch at all to say that. Well, as far as the theological purpose of marriage or theological basis of understanding it and the purpose of it, anything else you want to throw in there before we wrap this puppy up? 
Since marriage is based on the relationship between Christ and the church, and we see in scripture that um, Christ coming and conquering sin for his bride was predetermined and preplanned, then we can also also come to the conclusion that marriage was predetermined and preplanned. And so it's it's adds so much more depth and so much more of a foundation to it than just, oh, this is how I'm feeling today, so I guess I'll love today, you know? <laughs> yeah. This leaves me really sad because I think we've looked at what the Bible says, and it's a beautiful picture, and Gracie Arts articulated that very well. Yeah. But so few believers have seen that, experienced that, yeah. even in struggling marriages right now, are living so far below God's standards. And it's because... You know, we as the church have failed to reflect that, that we've kind of advocated our place of privilege to define and to show marriage as a worthy, important institution that should be upheld. And because mm -hmm. we've lost that, how much suffering has been induced into this world, to kids' lives, school just started back. There's, I don't know. It just it, it leaves me heartbroken that the picture of what the Bible says is so poorly reflected in the lives of believers hmm. and we've lost the ability to speak to that truthfully. Man. And yet we have hope, right? We do, we do, yes. absolutely. Yes. So I, I can't let things just stay down, yeah. but I, I don't disagree I with you. I wouldn't have gotten away that slapped you around. Yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree with you, but we do also have hope. That's right. There is hope that God can redeem and open those eyes and give them a greater depth and a greater marriage that is more grounded in them. So Amen. it is yeah. a, a sad truth and yet it is a hopeful truth. Amen. And I, I'll, I'll just, I guess, pref or not preface at this point, r wrap this up by saying that um, none of this is meant to be um, condemning in any nature or right. to give shame on anyone who has been through uh, divorce or bad marriage or anything right. of that sort. Our goal is to lift high what scripture says and what God's plan is. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully from that, we all aspire to that and move towards that from our lives from here forward. And that's what, you know, God's grace is sufficient. And, and so we can get into many more things along that. But um, anyway, um, hope this has been beneficial. Um, we'll come back in a couple of weeks and give you the, um, some more practical conversations. And we thank you for listening. And uh, if you have any other questions, comments, concerns, um, give, do you want to give your view on marriage and divorce, a uh, biblical view, then you can send that to theodoxpodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, take care. Have a good night, good day, whatever time. Adios. <laughs> bow, take a bow, wow. <laughs> <sighs> That's the hardest.